Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you today? Jason, I'm doing good. Life, life is good. Life is good. Uh, again, your yeah. new, new is this a new sweater that you have on today? It is, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah, my, you know, have my uh, good sweater zone. I, that's what I prefer, and it's good sweater weather. I mean, the weather has turned cool, and and uh, anybody who's been outside this week, I uh, hope they've had a, a sweater or jacket or something on. And uh, uh, of course, this is the last weekend for the fair. Probably, uh, hopefully, it won't rain today, and that it'll be a nice. Uh, fair, fair weather day. How about that? <laughs> fair weather day. I like that, and I, I like this. You know, we're on the radio, Bill. You don't have to dress so nice, but you always, you always come in so presentable. I well, appreciate that. It's my uniform. How about that? <laughs> I so, like it. Yeah, well, so. we spent some time last week talking about uh, different types of powers of attorney, yep. and I know you wanted to focus today on. Uh, something that I guess we haven't really covered a lot in depth, but that's how to use a general durable power of attorney. Well, that's right. You know, I, I do tend to overstate how important it is to have the right kind of general durable power of attorney. And I do talk often about how seniors in particular need what uh, we call enhanced general durable powers of attorney. Uh, and, and how, in general, how important it is for everyone uh, to have, that is, everyone who has a trusted agent, someone who they can appoint and know they're not going to be taken advantage of, that, that you know, uh, that uh, everyone sh- should have a general durable power of attorney. But what Uh, I fail to do uh, and need to do a better job of is to talk uh, in terms of how your agent needs to use the general durable power of attorney. Uh, Because quite frankly, it can be frustrating. Uh, It can be difficult to use a power of attorney. Uh, And so there are ways to make it a little bit easier, but sometimes you're just stuck going through the process to get the power of attorney recognized. In other words, what happens uh, often is is that uh, your loved one uh, is uh, having problems, need you to step in and to manage things. And so you need to have access to the bank account and to the financial accounts and to the insurance contracts and and other uh, credit cards and, and uh, the medical providers and, and, you know, all of the above. And you go to the bank and they say, oh, we can't accept that. And it's like you're, you're standing there saying, well, the attorney helped us do it, and it's properly executed, and it's signed and notarized. Why the heck won't you take it? And, and so what I'm getting at is that um, sometimes it's as simple as the fact that the bank 
uh, has a requirement, internal requirement, that the power of attorney be recorded. And what that means is it, it is recorded as a public record in the Office of the Register of Deeds in the county in which you live. Uh, and, and uh, of course, uh, that uh, means everything. Uh, and so it, it, in some ways, protects you as the agent, and it also protects the bank if it's recorded as a public record. But is uh, recordation required to be recognized? No, it's not required. But like I said, uh, some institutions uh, will not recognize it prior to it being recorded. So obviously it can be helpful uh, for you to go ahead and record it when you start using it uh, and then take the recorded version, you know, in other words, where it shows the stamp from the Register of Deeds office where it's recorded, and you take that uh, to the bank um, to be recognized so that you can uh, get on the account as a signatory. Now, I will tell you that it's far easier, and you, um, uh, if it can be done, if you can go to the bank with the principal, the, the account holder, uh, so that um, uh, so that the institution, uh, it, you know, obviously under those circumstances where the principal is saying, I want to put this person on my account as my agent under my power of attorney, here's the power of attorney, get it done. Well, of course, they're going to do it then. But, you know, if your principal's bedridden and can't go to the bank, you might have uh, a, a problem. And... Um, uh, typically, it, it's a delay, rather, but sometimes you simply have to stand your ground. If you know you have a power of attorney that's been properly executed, that it's legal, in other words, it, particularly if it's done by a lawyer in North Carolina, uh, and, and that you know it, it's a, a good document that's been properly signed and, and notarized, uh, then obviously you just have to stand your ground at times. And it's, uh, you, but you might be delayed. It might be, okay, fella, send this to your legal department because uh, give me a call when they tell you that I'm entitled to be on the account. Um, uh, and, and and so that uh, is something that uh, what I'm getting at is sometimes you have to be patient because um, it, you know they they have some processes in place that are will slow you down. Another thing that can happen is that you'll uh, try to use your power of attorney with say uh, a financial brokerage or a house uh, and of. I've heard from uh, numerous clients uh, where Vanguard uh, sets up barriers. Uh, and it's like, no, we're not going to accept your power of attorney. We have our own power of attorney where we want you to have the principal sign this document. And we'll recognize our document, whereas we don't uh, want to recognize your document. Now, frankly... Uh, uh, here again, it, if it, it might be easier uh, 
if you, um, uh, you know, have your principal with you uh, under those circumstances, uh, it uh, it might even be easier the path of least resistance if if your principal can sign the additional document, and that's fine. But you know, frankly, sometimes they can't sign another document because the reason you're in there is because they're not capable of knowing what's going on anymore. And under those circumstances, again, you have to stand your ground. It's like, nope, sorry, that can't happen. Our, you know, this is a durable power of attorney. Send it to your legal department, and I'll be patient, but this has to be done. And, of course, it's the kind of thing where if, if you run into a continuing roadblock, then t t take your power of attorney uh, and create a new account somewhere else and then move, uh, you know, have the paperwork to where the new company sends it over to the old company that's not recognizing your power of attorney and have all the funds moved from that the old institution to a new institution. So instead of, uh, you know, it's it's kind of thing where if you if just for instance, I've always said Fidelity and Vanguard are two peas in a pod when it comes to the type of products that they offer. Schwab's in there too. They're they're very uh, so. If you go to Schwab and they say, sure, not a problem, we'll set this up. The, you know, our legal department says this is good, and Vanguard's over there saying, no, 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 we got to use our paper. Uh, then you know, just switch it and. and you'll get similar service <laughs> and uh, be able to do what you need to do. But uh, you run into that uh, frequently. Um, and and uh, But the, typically, and of course, if you are, are doing it telephonically, then obviously you need to email or fax or send securely or send it in snail mail, but a copy of the power of attorney to the insurance company or uh, the credit card company or whomever else you need to recognize the document uh, and give them time to send it to their legal department to, you know, to review it and then approve it uh, and, and then have the telephone call. Of course, if your uh, principal is capable of uh, talking uh, on the telephone, then be with them because you, you won't run into the same level of problem if the principal is right there and can introduce themselves and, and identify themselves and then say, my agent is right here and I want you to listen to my agent and help my agent and whatever he asks you, uh, then you'll get the cooperation that you need, but they have to have the principal there or they have to have pre-approved your power of attorney. So the point is that sometimes it's a pain to, uh, uh, to deal with institutions that throw up barriers. And you need to be prepared for those barriers and to do what you can in advance so as that you'll be uh, delayed as little as possible. But 
you got to expect there to be delays unless you've had the ability to have the principal go with you to all of these places uh, well in advance of, of their having uh, significant problems. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can't. And so you just have to deal with what's out there. Preparation becomes a big factor in that, and that gives you a little bit more flexibility. But having those documents in the first place really is key in making sure that you have the right documents uh, that can help you out along the way. If you have not had any documents drawn up, I encourage you to get a hold of WG Alexander and Associates. Go to WGA Law. Com, or if you've had some documents drawn up in the past, maybe it's been decades since you've had those reviewed, or maybe you've never had your documents reviewed by an elder law attorney. Again, go to WGALaw.com, schedule some time to speak with someone on the team at WG Alexander and Associates. You can also call the office. The phone number is 919 256 7000. 919 256 7000 and don't forget at wgalaw.com you can also register for the free webinars put on by Bill and WG Alexander and Associates go to wgalaw.com click on that seminars button at the top of the page learn more about the two webinars that are done the second Wednesday of every month you can learn more about long-term care assistance Medicaid VA benefits and all forms of financial assistance possibly available to you if you are dealing with with a long-term care crisis. You can also learn more about asset protection and trust planning. It's all at WGALaw.com. Click at the seminars button at the top of the page. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can go if you would like to schedule some time to speak with Bill or the team at WG Alexander and Associates. It's also where you can go to learn more about the free webinars happening the second Wednesday of every month. You can learn more about long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. Go to WGALaw.com to learn more. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We're having a discussion about using a general durable power of attorney and some potential roadblocks that we can encounter. And Bill, this is can be a little bit frustrating because we do the planning, we get these documents done, but sometimes it's just not so easy to have them perform the way that we need them to. That's true. Um, there, there are other places where you can run into problems uh, unexpectedly as well. Uh, and while you shouldn't need to use a, a general durable power of attorney uh, for, uh, uh, for the VA, for veterans, um, you uh, often will use a health care power of attorney. And so, uh, oftentimes you'll find that the VA does not want to accept your North Carolina health care power of attorney. It's the federal government, you know, and they're too good to accept 
a state document. Um, now, sometimes they will, quite frankly, um, <clears throat> uh, particularly if it's the only thing you've got. But quite frankly, they prefer that you have a VA health care power of attorney. It's, it's their own form. Uh, and that's the one time where if your veteran is competent to sign a health care power of attorney, uh, then uh, that's a good idea. In fact, in our office uh, with our veterans, uh, it, particularly if they're using the VA health care system, we will prepare a, a VA healthcare power of attorney, as well as a North Carolina healthcare power of attorney. And the VA form actually has uh, the advanced directive uh, for natural death inside as one document their healthcare power of attorney. So that's one instance where it actually is best to have their form because they're familiar with it, they'll acknowledge it right off the bat, no problem. And, and go forward. But if, again, if you can't, then, uh, then stand your ground, and more than likely the VA will accept it, particularly if they know that the veteran doesn't have the capability of assigning another document. Uh, now, with Social Security, that's a horse of a different color. Uh, they're not going to take your uh, power of attorney. Again, it's the federal government. Um, but they have a different process. and st In other words, they're not going to accept you as the principal's agent. Instead, what they will do is allow you to apply to be a personal representative. Uh, and, uh, and once they accept you as a personal representative, then... Uh, that's their form of you being the principal's agent and responsible uh, for their Social Security money. Of course, being a personal rep only gives you the authority over the Social Security uh, income and nothing else. <laughs> so it's not good enough by itself, but it, it at least allows you to deal with it. Now, a lot of folks... Uh, can get past not needing a per being not needing to be a personal representative because the social security check automatically goes to the bank account uh, and you're an agent on the bank account, so you have the ability to deal um, with it otherwise. So, uh, so sometimes you have to apply to be a personal rep, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you can apply to be a personal rep. Uh, if there's only Social Security income, uh, oftentimes being a personal representative with the Social Security will allow you to avoid being a general guardian if you don't have a general durable power of attorney uh, anyway. So, uh, but if you have income from other sources, uh, like rental income or uh, pension income, um, then the uh, the personal representative piece is not going to uh, help you enough if uh, if you don't have a general durable power of attorney. So uh, that makes a, a big difference. Now, with the Internal Revenue Service, uh, you're generally not going to have a problem as long as you <laughs> file the taxes and pay them on time. Uh, and, of course, if your power of attorney 
has the magic words that you can deal with the inter- and file tax returns with the Internal Revenue Service. And the Internal Revenue Code actually has a provision in it as to how they like to see the authority given to an agent to file returns. Uh, and, but, of course, you have to send your power of attorney along with your tax return if you're going to sign it for the principal. Uh, you have to send that power of attorney with your tax return so that, that they, they can see that you have the authority to sign uh, the tax uh, return. Uh, but I've, I've, uh, I haven't actually ever seen the IRS return a return saying you don't have the authority to sign this document. But that now they will have a problem if you don't send them the power of attorney showing them your authority. Uh, and so that's important. Now, um, the fact is, however, that a lot of folks don't realize that their authority is very limited. And that can get people in trouble. Uh, oftentimes, it'll get them in trouble, and they don't know it. In other words, it's uh, they're not intending to abuse the, the power, but they're uh, abusing their power, <laughs> okay, because they don't know. Uh, and so um, I, I know we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about how you actually um, sign uh, for your principal. That's extremely important. And then uh, what you have to do to understand what your limitations are so that you don't uh, unintentionally uh, abuse your authority as agent. That's excellent. We're going to cover that in more detail in just a bit. Don't forget, if you want to register for the webinars happening on Wednesday, November 8th, if you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, maybe you know a loved one who is dealing with a long-term care crisis, this is valuable information for anyone who has a family member dealing with this. It's free to attend. There's no cost to you. You can learn plenty about Medicaid, VA benefits, all forms of financial assistance for those dealing with a long-term care crisis. Go to wgalaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page. Again, it's free to register, free to attend, just a highly educational opportunity for you to learn more from Bill and WG Alexander and Associates. You can also learn more about asset protection and trust planning with that webinar. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button to learn more. You can also call the office. The phone number is 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. A short break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be back after this. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about Bill and WG Alexander and Associates at WGALaw.com. WGALaw 
Com. That's where you can go to schedule some time to speak with an elder law attorney. You can also find information about the free webinars that happen the second Wednesday of every month. Next set of webinars is happening on Wednesday, November 8th. Learn more about asset protection and trust planning, as well as Medicaid, VA benefits, and long-term care assistance. WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button at the top of the page. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, we are talking about using a general durable power of attorney. And Bill, just before the break, you were painting this scenario, uh, kind of a troubling one where we may have good intentions using this document, but if, if we're not quite sure exactly what it can do, we may accidentally overstep our bounds. Well, uh, one thing that's really important, and I'll get to that, but it's really important as to know how to sign documents when you sign documents for your principal. Uh, more often than not, the agent is the spouse of the principal or a child of the principal, sometimes a sibling or friend of the principal. But let's say that your loved one, uh, and you're the agent, is being placed in an assisted living facility or a memory care unit or a nursing home. And you've got to sign a bunch of paperwork for their admission. Uh, and so, in essence, the admissions person hands the paperwork over to you and basically says, sign this, sign this, sign this, sign this. They don't tell you how to sign. Uh, basically, on a lot of those documents, there'll be a signature line where they, well, they'll say, sign here, and it says, responsible party. And more often than not, particularly with spouses and children, they'll just simply sign their own name, even if they are the appointed agent under the general durable power of attorney. And that is absolutely the wrong way to do it. Because if you sign it like that, even if you are the agent, then the, the facility is going to contend that you are the responsible party to pay their bill, uh, even if you intended to sign as the agent and not as the responsible party. So guess what? When you're signing as an agent, you always sign the principal's name. In other words, you sign their name. And then after their name, you put by, and then you sign your name. And after you, and you should use the same name that's used in your power of attorney. And then after your name, comma, and the, then you put the word agent. Or, more commonly, people will put POA, you know, power of attorney. Uh, or, if you're being really technical, you could put AIF. That means attorney in fact. Uh, but the fact is, nobody uses that one. In fact, rarely do people use the word agent, even though the legislature says that's the right word to use today. But I don't care. As long as you put POA, agent, or AIF, after your name, you're making it clear that you're signing on behalf of the principal and not under the authority given to you by the principal, and you're not doing it otherwise. So to me, 
it's if you sign properly, then clearly you're you're not going to be the responsible party. You're simply signing on behalf of the principal, and the principal is the responsible party to pay the. Now, you as the agent, you might be paying the bills, but you're paying it on behalf of your principal, and that's so important to sign documents properly to so you you don't get yourself in trouble so now how else can you get in trouble <laughs> unintentionally now I'm, I'm not going into the intentional because the quite frankly there are folks who uh, uh, intend to abuse their power for their own benefit and those are the folks that need to be put in jail but uh, but it's so easy for folks to abuse their authority. The first rule to remember is this. Yes, as agent, you have fiduciary obligations, and that basically means to act on behalf of the principal the way the principal wants you, in other words, do what your principal wants done. And secondarily, your fiduciary duty is to do what's in their best interest, not what's in your best interest. So, uh, and don't forget, you're using the principal's money. So, <laughs> you know, uh, duh. But the fact is this. You do not ever want to exceed your authority under the document. And all powers of attorney, even enhanced powers of attorney, are limited. And what that means is the only authority you have is the authority that's proactively outlined in the document itself. In other words, if the document doesn't say whether you have the authority or not, you don't have the authority. Uh, a good example would be a gifting authority. It might, you know, almost all powers of attorney will allow you to sell things. In other words, you can sell the vehicle, you can sell the home, and of course the money goes right into the account of the principal. But your ability to transfer it, and this is why for spouses it's critical to be able to gift property so that you can protect it. You know, I talk about things like that regularly, but the fact is there are a lot of powers of attorney that have no gifting authority at all. Well, if it doesn't say that you can make a gift, you can't make a gift. You know, it's you don't have the authority to do it. Um, I, I, I had um, a, 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 another client uh, uh, that where who was told, and I'll go into this, that she needed to create an irrevocable trust. Well, she had an old power of attorney. It didn't give her the authority to make a, an irrevocable trust. And I said. Even if it was in your best interest to create an irrevocable trust, you don't have the authority to do it, and your mother's incompetent at this point, so that's not something that you can do. I mean, it would exceed your authority. It's one of the reasons I hate short-form powers of attorney, and it's the most common power of attorney that uh, is given to people out in the community by lawyers and others. And what I'm getting at is these are typically, you know, one, two, three-page documents with one-liners. You have the authority to do this or that, but 
each one is limited by the general statutes. For instance, in the short-form power of attorney, it has a line that says, you can make gifts. Well, if you didn't know that it was limited, you'd think, oh, I can make any kind of gift I want. But the fact is, is a short-form power of attorney doesn't authorize you to make gifts of real estate. It doesn't authorize you to make a gift that's more than the federal uh, gift tax uh, exclusion, $17,000 per person per year. It doesn't allow you to make uh, gifts that have not been historically made by the principal. Uh, and so, and, and uh, uh, so what I'm getting at is, uh, and there's other limitations as well. So the fact is, if you don't know that that one-liner is limited and nobody's telling you it's limited, you can easily unintentionally do something that you're not authorized to do. Uh, and that can be critical if you're signing a deed transferring property and you don't have the authority to do it, that, that deed's going to be a nullity uh, and you will have thought that you've done the right thing, uh, particularly if somebody's advised you to do it. So the point is, is that you have to have specific proactive authority in your document. Now, if you have a short form power of attorney, ask a, a, a lawyer or go online and look at the general statutes for the powers of attorney because that's actually where you find all of the limitations on a short-form power of attorney. So what I'm getting at is your document by itself will get you in trouble if you don't have a copy of the general statute showing you what your limitations are, um, because it's really important to know what you can do and, and, more importantly, what you can't do. You don't want to exceed your authority. Make sure that you've got a good understanding of what your documents can do. If you've never sat down with an elder law attorney before, I encourage you to get a hold of W.G. Alexander and Associates. Go to WGALaw.com. You can also register for the free webinars there as well by clicking on the seminars button at the top of the page. Call the office as well, 919-256-7000, We're taking a break, but we'll be back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick with us. listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more at WGALaw.com, whether it's scheduling some time to speak with an elder law attorney, learning more about the free webinars that Bill and WG Alexander and Associates put on the second Wednesday of every month. The next set of webinars is happening on Wednesday, November 8th. Learn more about Medicaid, VA benefits, financial assistance for those dealing with a long-term care crisis. Also learn more about asset protection and trust planning 
The webinars are free to attend. There's no cost to you. They're highly educational, a good opportunity for you to learn about some areas that are, boy, just fraught with myths and misinformation. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button at the top of the page to learn more. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill, I love your webinars because you do a lot of work to help dispel myths. And that's one of the important functions of this show, too, is you help wade through some of the the misinformation and half-truths that we often come across. Well, uh, I had a young lady who came in. She was wonderful. She was trying to, and she not just trying, she was taking care of her 91-year-old mother, uh, and she had a, a an old power of attorney with limited authority. Uh, but her real problem was the fact that she w- was barely scraping by to take care of her mother. She was trying to keep her mom at home, which I you know, uh, think is, is a, the right way to go. And, um, and she needed advice. And she insisted that she had another advisor who told her that she had to have a an irrevocable trust to protect the house, and uh, the the and we call these. I mean, and you have to understand that most of the time, when uh, folks, uh, there are a lot of advisors who basically, for Medicaid planning purposes, will tell clients that. A, an irrevocable trust, and we call these five-year trusts because uh, they they create a huge problem for five years if you need to apply for Medicaid because they require a gift that is penalized or sanctioned uh, if you do one. Uh, so, but this advisor was telling her, "Oh, you have to have an irrevocable trust to protect that house." And quite frankly, her mother, the only thing she had was a home that was paid for, nice home uh, in this area. Uh, so yes, it had some value to it, which was nice. But do you need an irrevocable? I mean, there's several questions here. Number one is, do you really need an irrevocable trust? to protect a home and the the uh, answer to is not very often now the fact is would i ever do an irrevocable trust for a 91 year old lady that's in bad health uh, absolutely not in fact and uh, now if somebody's in their early 70s or even late 70s and in excellent health uh, it's it's not a question of age as much as it is health and longevity. Uh, but if uh, would I potentially think about a five year trust for someone who is younger and in good health? Potentially, it's it's an option, but it's only an option. And for most folks, it's not even a good option. You know, I I rarely do these what we call five year irrevocable trusts. But folks are so worried about what's called Medicaid estate recovery that they fall into these traps and pay a lot of money for these irrevocable trusts that uh, oftentimes uh, backfire on them. 
Uh, and so but because of the potential for it to backfire, I don't use them very often unless I'm very comfortable with the reason that we're doing it uh, and, and it actually benefits the family. And oftentimes it doesn't. So why, uh, you know, the, there are other methods of protecting real estate in North Carolina without using an irrevocable trust, protecting it from Medicaid estate recovery. And quite frankly, the problem with irrevocable trusts is that the principal uh, loses control, and oftentimes it will also create an income tax issue later on that would not be the case if it was simply inherited. Uh, and so there are a lot of ways to make that happen. But um, uh, and, and here's the thing, uh, and this is why people don't understand these irrevocable trusts. For an irrevocable trust to work for Medicaid eligibility purposes, first you have to get past five years. You know, how many people want to give up control of their property uh, many years in advance of ever needing Medicaid? And, of course, Medicaid for most of us is only available in the worst of circumstances if we need nursing facility care. And guess what? Every one of us has a goal to stay out of a nursing home. And so we're going to do everything we can to avoid that possibility. And Medicaid, you're not going to have Medicaid estate recovery unless you go on Medicaid. And you're not going to go on Medicaid unless you go to a nursing home and get some help to get there. And, of course, we help people get Medicaid all the time. But the fact is, is that we can protect your house most of the time with other methods. So why use a five-year trust that creates a look-back penalty uh, and means you're not eligible for five years more often than not? And sometimes it can mean you're uh, eligible for ineligible for longer than that. And here's the other thing. When an irrevocable trust is created, the person who needs assistance, the owner of the uh, property, cannot be the beneficiary. So guess what? You have to make the kids the beneficiary. Uh, and, you know, the kids don't need the help. They're just trying to protect the inheritance for themselves. And oftentimes you need to do things with that property. Sometimes it's to sell it uh, for the benefit so there's money available to pay for the care, not nursing care, but other care that's needed. Sometimes it's a matter of getting a loan against the house. Well, if you put it into this irrevocable trust for the benefit of the children, then obviously those two things have gone away and you've created income tax problems if you need to sell the house uh, under those circumstances. So what I'm getting at is that the, uh, only the advisors who don't understand the other options available to, to families, those are the ones who are going to be saying, do this, these irrevocable trusts 
because, you know, that's the advisor that only has one nail and one hammer, and they, they don't have any other tools in their bag to help families, and it's a shame. If you feel like you're being pressured into a situation, take advantage of many of the free options available to you. The first of which is attend one of Bill's free webinars. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page, learn more about long-term care assistance or asset protection and trust planning. And a pro tip for everyone listening, if you attend one of Bill's free webinars, you're also eligible for a free consultation as well. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page. We're taking a quick break, we'll be back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget to register for the free webinars happening on Wednesday, November 8th. Learn more about long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits. Learn more about asset protection and trust planning as well. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button at the top of the page to register for free. You can also call the office, 919-256-256. 7,000, 919-256-7,000. That is it for us today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.